deliverance. I speak deliverance in the name of Jesus. Help in the name of Jesus. Healing in the name of Jesus. Answers in the name of Jesus. There's power when you speak his name. Lift your hands all over this place. Let's just call on the name of the Lord just for a few seconds. Jesus, you are so powerful, Lord. There is nothing that you cannot do. We worship you, Jesus. We praise your holy name. Thank you for the victory that comes in a life that's lived in you. We bless your name for that. Hallelujah. Someone say, in the name of Jesus. Clap your hands and let's praise him together. Can you do that? Hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God, praise God. It's so good to see everyone in the house of the Lord today. If this is like your first time for ever being with us, or maybe there's somebody that's online, and if you have never been with us, this is your first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're with us. You are part of our family. If this is like your second time or your third time, I'm gonna tell you what I'm about to tell folks that are here for the first time. As soon as you walk in, you're a part of our family. And this place is a little bit, it's a little bit addicting. I, I told somebody recently, maybe I said this, I don't remember, I, I've said it a couple of times, one of my taglines, I guess. If I wasn't the pastor, I'd go to church right here. I like it here. Man, I like what I feel, I like what I hear, I like what I experience. You're gonna get addicted to this place and you will be back. So those of you that came back, we told you. We told you we're back and we're glad you're back. We're glad you're here for the first time. Welcome to APC. Church family, would you welcome everybody to the house of the Lord here today? If you need more information about our church, I'm usually in the lobby after church. Stop and talk to me. I'd love to meet you. I'd love to meet you and your family and, uh, and get to know you a little bit better. My wife's not here today. I feel a little empty. If my preaching's not too good, just you know, chalk it up. It's not... It's not my fault. My wife's not here. I preach better when she's with me. She's actually uh, at O'Hare Airport picking up Kylie. For those of you church family, you know uh, uh, Karen in Columbia. Kylie has been with Karen in Columbia for the last week, and they're picking her up. I am going to talk to Kylie about her scheduling. She should have scheduled that flight somewhere besides church time. Man, but they're there, and that's why they're not here today, but we love them praying for them. I also just want to say, um, I, I know... Uh, Avery did such a great job informing you about Sister Pummel. A lot of you probably don't, can't place her. You've seen her before. She's not been able to be with us a lot. She's older, was older. And uh, of course, she started coming here before COVID. When COVID, she was in a nursing home, got locked down, just lots of things. So she didn't have tons of opportunity to be here. But you do know, Brother Dave, uh, her, her uh, um, uh, son-in-law, sorry to get that right, and Sister Leanne, his wife, her daughter, and so they are just great members of our church. It's hard to lose anybody. Amen? Anybody lost, ever lost someone? And I don't care how prepared they were or they are, as, as we believe with full heart that Sister Pummel was, it's always hard to lose. So be praying for them, cover them. The arrangements are still a little bit in flight. They'll probably be towards the end of the week, and we will put those out. Uh, to the church family as soon. And of course, we want to support this precious family. And we appreciate the life and the example of Sister Pummel lived in front of us. Amen. Somebody say praise the Lord. Are you ready for the word of God today? Man, let's look to the book of Genesis chapter 41, verse 28. Genesis chapter 41, verse 28. 
Now I want to set the scene a little bit. Joseph, the prisoner, has stepped into the palace of Pharaoh. Anybody know this story? His life seemingly started on an ascent to destiny, but was met with a few setbacks. And I, I won't have time to preach about all of those things. So if you don't know the story of Joseph, uh, read it. Read uh, Genesis 41 through 45. I'll, I'll mention them enough for you to understand, but I'm going to rely a little bit on Bible knowledge here today just because I know that y'all aren't gonna put up with much more than 30 minutes of me talking. That's a rule around here. 30 minutes is good enough for a, a good sermon and too long for a bad one. So I won't go through it all today. Uh, but I do want to pick up Joseph as he is in. He's in the palace. And here's what he says to Pharaoh. Pharaoh's had a dream. A dream he doesn't understand. But a dream that shakes him to his core. He knows it means something, but he can't figure out what it means. And somebody has told him that there is this obscure Hebrew boy, young man that's in the prison that can tell dreams. Joseph's brought into the palace, and this is what Joseph says. He says, this is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt. But after them, seven years of famine will arise. And all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. And all the famine will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh. He had two dreams twice because the thing is established by God and God will shortly bring it to pass now that's amazing enough but listen to what he continues to say now therefore because of this dream let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt let Pharaoh do this and let him appoint officers over the land to collect one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of those good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh and let them keep food in the cities. Then that food shall be a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine, which shall be in the land of Egypt, and the land may not perish during the famine." So the advice, did anybody catch Pharaoh asking? If you read through, let me just give you a hint. Pharaoh never asked for advice. He asked for somebody to explain the dream. But Joseph not only knew the dream, he knew the plan for the dream. And the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and in the eyes of all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and as wise as you. You shall be over my house and all of my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I, Pharaoh, be greater than you. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent, no man 
may lift his hand or foot in the land of Egypt. He not only knew what the dream it was, but he had ears to hear what the plan was to execute the dream that God given, had given. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? It wasn't just a thought. It wasn't just a belief. It wasn't just something that he agreed with or he came into knowledge of. But he was wise enough, discerning enough, willing enough, humble enough. Somewhere, we don't know where, but somewhere the same spirit, the same God that revealed what was going to happen to Joseph revealed to him also along with it a plan to execute that dream for Joseph. I want to preach to you today about a plan for Thanksgiving. A plan for Thanksgiving. Lay your Bibles down. Lift your hands to heaven. Let's ask God to help us. Lord, we thank you, Jesus, for your word. You've already established it. You know exactly what needs to happen in this place here today. I believe, Lord, with all my heart, you have divinely orchestrated every step, strategically placing people under the sound of the voice of this message today. You, God, have gathered us together because you want to speak to us in our hearts. God, agree, agree with your agenda. We open up our hearts, open up our minds. God, let your word explode in us and let every God bit of it speak to us specifically in our own specific and individual lives. We give you praise for that in the name of Jesus. And everybody said amen. Clap your hands to the Lord. Let's thank him for his word. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. I know Christmas is coming, but Thanksgiving's important. I used to get more amens to that. All you Christmas people, you're taking over, taking over. Thanksgiving's important. I, I, I think about, you know, all the scriptures, and I, I'll probably preach about some of these more next week, but I think about that, that great psalm that says, enter into his gates with, come on, where's my Bible readers? What? Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving seems to be the prerequisite even to come into the presence of the Lord. You know, we, you know, Avery talked a little bit about finding the will of God. And even though it's not hidden, it, at times it is hard to make sure that we're in it and on it. Somebody say amen. amen. But, and, and we look to the scripture to help us with that. And there, there are a few things. Sometimes it's, it's there between the lines. Sometimes it's there in the application. But sometimes it's even just really explicit. You know, the scripture tells us, the New Testament writer said, you know, give thanks to God in all things. And then he adds the caveat, because this is the will of God concerning you in Christ Jesus. There's only a few things that you can pull out and pick out a scripture where God becomes so explicit that he says, this is my will. It's important to give thanks. It's important to be thankful. It's biblical. It's holy. To be thankful. I don't know if you remember, but last week we cited, uh, I believe it's 2 Timothy, I want to say 3, forgive me if my reference is wrong, where he said in the last days perilous times were coming. One of the characteristics of those perilous times is that people would lose and gra their grasp of what Thanksgiving really is, and people would be ungrateful. But, but the church doesn't have that problem, does it? It's not a trick question. 
So the church doesn't have that problem, does it? We, we've got, we know we've got stuff to be thankful for. We know that, that God has been good. Does anybody know? Let me just ask you, I guess. Does anybody know that God has been good? Can, can anybody testify? If I gave you a microphone today, could you stand up and give God praise? Could you vocalize it? Could you articulate the goodness of God in your life? Does anybody grasp the idea that there is something in the heart of God that enjoys it when his people rise and give him thanks and they open up their mouths and they call on his name and they glorify him for what he's done. But here's the thing, folks. We need more than just an idea of thanksgiving. We, we, we need to plan thanksgiving out in our lives because thanksgiving is more than just a thought. If, if you just, you know, mull it over with me for a moment here, Thanksgiving is really a reaction. It's a product. It happens because other stuff happens. For instance, when, when people, if I came to you and said, Sister Rose, I'm just so thankful. And I just kept telling you, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful. Eventually, logic is probably going to cause you to respond to me and say, for What? And then I'm going to go to my list. Some of you have got this thing going on where 31 or 30, it's hard, it's November, 30 days, 30 days, and every day you're posting, I'm thankful, and there's a four. What are you thankful for? Well, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for my wife. I'm thankful for my kids. I'm thankful for my favorite breakfast. I'm thankful for, you know, we get all the things to be thankful for, and we're supposed to give thanks in all things. I'm not making fun. But I am here to tell you that there is a plan executed in your life that produces thanksgiving. I realize there's basic stuff like breath in your body. Right, right. The fact that you can get up today and come to the house of God and stuff we take for granted. I get all that. But the bulk and a lot of thanksgiving is actually a well-executed plan of God in the lives of men and women today. Thanksgiving exists and it happens because God makes stuff happen in your life. Thanksgiving's got a plan. It's not just out there. It's not just arbitrary. It's not just all willy-nilly just going on. No, let me tell you, God's a God of order. He's not a God of chaos. He's got a plan. He's got a well-laid-out plan. And the end of that plan is Thanksgiving. Some of you have been through some stuff. You've walked through some of God's plan, and you realize you know what I'm talking about. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for God planning some stuff in my life. I would, Avery, you said it today. I'd be dead and gone if it wasn't. I'd be dead in my sins if it wasn't for a plan that was executed in my life. Listen, I'm here to tell you right now, God's got a plan for Thanksgiving. It's more than a thought. It's more than a concept. I'm telling you, there's a plan that he wants to execute in every one of our lives that will produce more Thanksgiving than you're able to give voice to. Man, there's plenty to be thankful for, breath and life. But God builds thanksgiving in us beyond the basic. And when we realize, 
and embrace the most, and most importantly, when we put into practice God's plans in our lives, then it's that moment and that time and from that moment on that you'll never run out of things to be thankful for. This last day, this world has ran out of things to be thankful for. But when God's involved, it keeps adding up. Every day that I wake up, his mercies are new every morning. Every day that I get up, there's something else that God's doing in my life. Is there anybody else that would stand with me right now and say, if I had to come up with a list, I could spend the rest of my life. I could spend the rest of my breath. I could spend the rest of my energy because God keeps on executing his plan. Come on, somebody praise him in Thanksgiving right now. Come on, and I'm telling you, you've been a partner in that plan. You helped God build that plan. There's action to take in God's plans. Now, there's some things he's just sovereign about. He just does them. He just does them, and you don't deserve them. He just does them. But then there's other things that you're very much involved in. Somebody say amen. Come on, where's the believer at? Say amen. I didn't get it. You're like the turtle on the fence post. You didn't get there by yourself. Right? But it did take some effort. It did take some climbing. It did take some partnering with what God established as right and true and your next steps in your life. There's action to take. James teaches us this. He says hearing is useless unless there is doing. He says that faith is wonderful, but it's dead without work. Somebody say a plan. A plan. It's good to have a dream. It's good to embrace truth. It's good to have the right concepts. But when you get to the end of all the rejoicing and all the revelation, I'm here to tell you God's sitting there with a plan and saying, all right, this truth, this righteousness, these steps, I've got a way for you to execute this in your life. I'm here to tell somebody, he's got bigger plans for you than just to sit on a church pew somewhere and fill time on the church service somewhere. He's got a bigger plan for you just to, than just to be here on Sunday. There's steps for you to fall out in. There's steps for you to follow. There's an action for you to take. God's got bigger ideas than just attendance. He's got bigger ideas than you just soaking up his glory. God wants to do stuff in people. Look at your neighbor right now and say, you've got to build Thanksgiving. You build a plan for Thanksgiving. The reason why some of these people are kind of crazy and reacting here today about all this Thanksgiving stuff because they've been executing some plans in their life. There's been some spiritual plans going on in their life and they've, they've seen successes and they've got stuff to thank God for. And if you're gonna build Thanksgiving in your life, listen, what you're gonna have to do, first of all, you're gonna have to get rid of all other plans. Let me say that again, because you're all really, really quiet. If you're going to build plans for Thanksgiving in your life, you're going to have to get rid of all the other plans, namely yours. Look at somebody right now next to you and say, your plans stink. Look at somebody next to you on the other side and say, your plans don't work. Look at all these wives taking down their husbands right now. Your plans don't work. Your plans come to mind. At their best, they only have limited results. 
It was this moment that Pharaoh was seeming a, in a just desperation. We find him in chapter 41, verse 8. The Bible said his spirit was troubled, and he was disturbed by his dream. I really felt like the Lord said, Brad, somehow you got to move some folks in this congregation today to get past this moment. You've been to this moment so many times. It's not that you don't believe truth. It's not that you don't know what's right. You're disturbed by the dream the concept, the truth that you've been given. God's been dealing with you. He's been talking to you, but you've been disturbed before. What you need is you need an interpretation and a plan with what God is talking to you about. Pharaoh needed someone who not only knew the dream, but would have a plan because that's what happens with dreams that have no plans. They just get frustrated instead of getting fulfilled. And Joseph was that man. And listen, this is where I don't have time to tell you. You need to study Joseph. He's a remarkable character. We need to study him in Igro if we haven't already. We probably have, but we need to study him again. He's, he's a remarkable character. This is not somebody, he's not a novice with dreams. He's been dreaming since he was a little boy. And he didn't even know what some of these dreams meant. Still, as a young man, as an adult in adulthood, I'm convinced he was not even sure of the dreams that God had given him. But he had been interpreting dreams and understanding dreams. And he was learning God's plan for his dream as he went. And the Bible says that, that, that Joseph interpreted this dream. He interpreted this dream and, 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 and then he gave him a plan. And it was a good plan. Brother Bruce, you're a businessman, right? You're a CFO. You, you, you know business, right? You knew a plan. This guy, how does this guy show up from a prison and say, I know what the dream means. There's going to be seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. Here's what you do. You need to set officers here. You need to provide storehouses here. You need a fifth. How did he know it was a fifth of all the grain? How did he know that it was a fifth, not a half? Or how did he know how bad it was going to be? I submit to you, he didn't know. He didn't know any of that stuff. Just like God gave him the dream, God gave him the plan. See, this is what I'm trying to get to you right now. God's got more than just for you to understand the truth of his word. He wants you to understand just like my spirit troubles you and brings you to a place where you know I'm right, I'm also going to work in you to establish a plan to pull you in to my righteousness. I'm not just going to give you a story. I'm going to give you steps. I'm going to give you strategy to execute my will in your life. See, that's what some of you need. You know the story. You've heard the story. You believe the story. Now you need the steps. You need action. You need works to go along with that faith. Only God's plans, God's plans go with God's dream. Here's the crazy thing. Just think with me. I'm thinking through this. I, once in a while, I'm a thinker. Nathan, don't you imagine this was Egypt, okay? Egypt was the most powerful empire on the planet. Don't you think that there are already plans in motion in Egypt? Right? Anybody with me? I mean, I just don't think that Pharaoh was waking up every morning. Hey, hey, what do y'all want to do today? No, this was a... <laughs> This was an established nation. Uh, he, he's got officers. He, he's got a court. He's got advisors. He's got workers. He's got an army. He's got organization. 
There's an org chart somewhere, I guess is what I'm trying to say. There's a plan in motion is what I'm trying to say. And, 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 and even with all of his best effort, he can't figure out what this dream means. And it's so crazy to think that this unheard of Hebrew slave, I mean, this guy is messed up. He, he's got to shave and he's got to clean himself up just to go into the palace. He has been in the prison. They are bringing a jailbird into the presidential office to give advice to the president on what is going on in the country. And this dude has the audacity to stand up and said, this is what it means. And by the way, this is what you should do. How is that? I'm going to tell you how it is. Because that unheard of Hebrew slave was not just any slave. It was Joseph with the hand of God on him. Joseph had went up and Joseph had went down. He'd went through a pit, through a prison, and through all kinds of ups and downs. But the Bible declares that the hand of God was on him through everything. It wasn't just Joseph walking in to the president's palace. It was Joseph and the power and the hand of God. Can I tell somebody right now that this is not just something on a piece of paper. This is not just a plan that has something that was derived by the mind of man somewhere. When you execute the plans of God, God goes with you. When you execute the things and the ways of God, it's not just you, Patrick. It's you and Jesus. It's not just you, Alan. It's you and Jesus. And when Jesus is involved, it's going to work. It's going to bring it to pass. Joseph said, I've got a dream and a plan. And he was more than just willing to believe in a dream. He was committed to walking out his plan. And the Bible says that Pharaoh said he made him the second in all command. He, he had him ride in the second chariot that he had. Second in command. You know what that tells me? Joe, somebody lost their job. Somebody got fired. Somebody got a pink slip. They lost their job. Nathan, they lost their company car because God had a plan. Some Hebrew slave got out of the prison and started driving a Lexus. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen to you. All I'm saying is that when God gets involved, his plans work. And he, what looks like impossible, hear me right now, what looks like to be impossible becomes possible when you decide, I'm gonna do more than just dream. I'm gonna build a plan for Thanksgiving in my life. I'm gonna get to a place where I can look back and say it wasn't nothing but the hand of the Lord. Come on, somebody, you ought to start right now. You ought to start right now. God, I want your plan. I don't want just your dreams. I don't want just your truth. I gotta have that, Lord. But when that's all said and done, would you keep talking? Would you keep talking and keep giving me your plan? I'm telling you, you gotta get rid of every other plan except his. Joseph's plans for the prison changed next day. He's supposed to go back and empty off the troughs. He's supposed to go back and clean out all the cells. But his plans changed. No wonder the writer says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all 
whose ways? All your ways. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. See, when our ways get thrown out and become his ways, I'm going to tell you what happens. You start building a testimony. You start building a thanksgiving to have. You're just storing it up because at some point you're going to look back and say, I know it looked like loss. I know it looked like I gave up. I know it looked like that I surrendered and I sacrificed. But listen to me. Everything that I gave up and everything that I sacrificed and everything that it seemed like I lost, God turned it around and gave me more. I've got more. <laughs> I've got more to be thankful for now than I've ever had in my life. Everything. God, just direct me. Just direct me. Just put the path in front of me. Just establish my steps. Come on, look somebody right around you and say, just let him have it. Just let him have it. So if you're going to build a Thanksgiving, you've got to get rid of all other plans. And you've also got to obey God's plan. You're really messed up if you throw out all your plans and then you don't obey God's plan. Now, I don't know if you are following my thinking, but you've got no plan. Genesis 41 and 47. Now in seven plentiful years, the ground... Can you imagine this? The first seven years, can you imagine the ground brought forth abundantly? They had a bumper crop. So they, they gathered. Can you imagine God would do that, would be true to his word? Can you imagine? So, so he gathered up all the food seven years, which is in the land of Egypt. He laid up the food in the cities. He laid up in every city food from the fields that surrounded them. And Joseph gathered so much grain. The Bible says it was like the sand of the sea and got to the point where Joseph threw the clipboard away and stopped counting. He said, because it's useless, there's just a lot. Immeasurable, the Bible uses the word. It was immeasurable. Do you think, again, I'm thinking, I'm thinking. It's dangerous, but I'm thinking. Do you think that during this seven years that there was some person that, you know, the bean counter, all right? The bean counter that was like, you know, trying to figure things out. And, you know, he's got all the numbers. He came to Joseph and said, you know, Joseph, listen, we might as well enjoy some of this. Look at this. We got, you can't even count all this. Can you just, just, let's just kind of just veer away. This has been a good plan. Look how much is blessed. But let's, now that the plan has brought blessing, how about we just tweak it a little bit for our immediate needs? Do you think that probably happened? I'm guessing it did. I'm guessing that he was challenged on multiple fronts. Probably at the very beginning when everybody thought it was crazy and probably at the very end when everybody saw it was so successful. Uh, because here's what happens. When you start executing the will of God in your life, there's always going to be those, your own thoughts and others, and the voices of this world that are going to come and tell you it's not necessary anymore to execute that plan. Oh, that plan's outdated. That plan is not for today. Culture's changed. Things have changed. I'm going to tell you, there was probably plenty of people that said, Joseph, give up. Come on, let's just go a different direction. But I can just imagine the mind of Joseph. He goes back to that dream. He keeps thinking, I remember the skinny cows are coming. <laughs> Pharaoh had a dream and he saw seven fat cows. And those seven fat cows got ate up 
by seven skinny cows. One, one translation said they were ugly cows. Ugly cows ate up pretty cows. And then he said Pharaoh had a second dream and good-looking stalks of corn, so to speak, got ate up by, by withered stalks of corn. And every time somebody said, let's change the plan, I think Joseph went back to the dream. See, the dream is important. He went back to that dream and said, wait a minute, no, I know. Listen, just like God was faithful in these seven years, his word's gonna be true in these seven years. I guess what I'm trying to tell somebody is, if you've got things pushing against you, telling you, you ought to give up, you ought to give in, you ought to change your mind. Joseph, I want you to remember the dream. I want you to remember the word of the Lord because he will execute his word. He's not a man that he could lie. I'm trying to tell somebody there's power in obeying God's plan. He was no stranger to walking out the plans of dreams and blind obedience. He go, no doubt his mind would go back to his childhood where he dreamt of sheaves and stars bowing to him where he shared it with his brothers that got him in this mess anyway. Remembered the ups and downs of the pit and Potiphar's house and the prison and now a palace. He knew what it was like for obedience to look nothing like blessing. He knew what it was like to think everything was on the right track, only to have a woman accuse him of raping her when he did nothing but act in integrity. He had plenty of reason to give up. He had plenty of reason to turn around. But something, here's what I admire about Joseph. He just kept obeying God's plan. He knew what it was like to put effort and care into something and have it turn around and bite you. He knew, but he also knew that obedience eventually is going to lead to overflow. That if you keep obeying, God is never going to leave and say, you know what, I've changed my mind. Truth isn't truth anymore. My word's not my word anymore. My promise is not my promise anymore. If God said it, then he's going to do it, and that settles it. I wish I could get that faith and that, that, that mindset into us today day that if God says it, it's going to happen. Somebody say obey God's plan. You got to get rid of every plan and then obey God's plan. And then it becomes very easy. Are you ready? Then you just thank God for the results. All that's left to do, it all leads to thanksgiving. It's always been a question in my mind, how much did Joseph know about the dream of his life while he was living it out. I mean, did, did he know when he was sold by his brothers? Was there even a thought in his mind that, you know, God is in this? Did, did, did he think that when he was falsely accused? I mean, at what point did, I mean, obviously he trusted God because in the moments, in the steps, he said, even when he did not know where they were leading, he said, the next step, I will step with integrity. The next step, I will step with faithful service. The next step, I don't know about the 20 steps in front of me, but the next step, I'll step to make them sure the next step is right. He had done that, but how much, how much of that was blind faith and how much of that was Joseph understanding ultimately the big picture of what God was going to do? 
I've got to believe that most of the time that Joseph was in Egypt, this is my opinion, just from reading a few scriptures, that Joseph did not understand fully what God was doing through him. I believe that there is something in him that said, I trust God even when I cannot see what he is doing. And here is why. Because way before his brothers ever show up to buy grain from him, if you know that story, he names, he has two boys, he names his first son Manasseh. And that means God has made me forget my trouble and my family. He names his second Ephraim, which means God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. That doesn't sound like somebody that realizes my family is coming back to me. That doesn't sound, that looks like somebody that says, you know what? I can't do anything about the past. I'm just going to write this off. And we'll thank God for the blessing that I can have right now. I've got to believe that Joseph, it was not until his brothers showed up that day that it began to bloom in Joseph's mind all of what God was doing. It seems that when his brothers showed up in chapter 42, verse 9, that jo- the Bible says Joseph remembered the dreams that he dreamed of them. I don't know if it was the first time or the first time in a long time. But the Bible's careful to tell us it wasn't until his brother showed up that Joseph remembered that ultimate dream of those sheaves bowing down to his sheaf and the stars and the moon bowing down to him. It seems to me, this is my interpretation, this is my take, it seems that in that moment that Joseph now sees the whole picture. He understands that Pharaoh's dream is actually a very small dream. That the plan for the the famine is actually a very small plan. He sees the whole picture. Pharaoh's dream is small. This plan is part of a bigger plan. And I don't even think he even knew how big of it because Jacob would birth Israel, the sons. Israel would produce Jesus and Jesus would save the world. I'm telling you, God had a bigger plan than just providing grain in the middle of a famine. You gotta understand, you don't know how big God's plan is in your life. Joseph said to his brothers, he said, come near to me. They came near. He said, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. I got to be honest with you, brother Dave. Just being transparent. If that were me, the next statement would be, and I'm going to burn your hides for a good old long time. I won't kill you but you are going to feel some pain. Don't judge me. Because I see about 75, 100 people that you'd be doing the same thing. But listen to Joseph. Joseph says, I'm your brother who you sold into Egypt, but now do not therefore be grieved and don't be angry with yourselves. God bless Joseph. Because you sold me here. But here's why. He said, for God sent me. God sent me. This is a big plan, fellas. You were just pawns. All this Pharaoh stuff. Oh, I know he controls half the universe, but he's just a pawn. There's a plan at work, and God 
is saving by posterity. He's incubating his chosen people. He's saving us. God, use this to save people. I'm just trying to tell somebody here today there's a bigger plan. God did this. I've got to believe that because of that, in that revelation, and I'm done, but listen to me. I've got to believe that in that revelation, when he said God did this, that everything, it didn't become any more enjoyable. The prison wasn't any more comfortable. The accusations were not any more false or any more true. It did not change one scenario. But what it did is it turned all of that from complaints into praise reports because every bit of it moved and worked for the ultimate will of God. I wonder if there's somebody that could look back and realize today that God would pop on the light bulb and you begin to realize not everything that's happened to me has come to harm me. It's actually come to propel me and to move me and to send me into the destiny. Is there anybody that could believe that there's an action plan that'll put you into a place that you could never go by yourself? Come on, I want you to stand with me here this morning. I'm so glad that the Lord moves you. I am so glad that the Lord speaks to you however he does. I, I, I'm so, so thankful and I'm so excited that, that there are people in this room that will embrace the truth, the ways, of God. But can I tell you, the Lord's like Joseph. Come near. I've got some more to say. I, I've, I've got a plan. A plan that will build Thanksgiving. Some of you wonder, why is it? Why is it that others have so much? And I struggle. I struggle to find things, and I struggle with that attitude. Why is it that, that so much good goes on in some folks' life? First of all, I'll just tell you, you better be careful. You walk in their shoes, you'll find out it's probably not as good as you think it is. But I'll also tell you this, there are folks that have more goodness of God going on in their life. There are folks that have more goodness of God going on in their lives than other folks. And I'm going to tell you, it's very simple. The more you let God's plan work in your life, the more you're able to be thankful for. The success that you see is not because they're any better. It's because they've realized He is better. It's not because God loves them more. It's because they realize that God loves them more. I wonder today, can you come to that realization? Can you come to that place? Can you come to this altar today and bring your dreams? Bring everything God's ever spoke to you. Bring everything God's ever laid on your heart. Bring everything that's ever disturbed you and, and everything that's ever moved you, everything that's ever convicted you, and realize God's got a plan for that. If you, if you said, look, I know I need to get my heart right with
with God. Listen, that's a wonderful dream. You need to bring that dream to an altar today and realize there's a plan to meet that dream. Repent. Be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. If you've got sickness and you've got a dream of being well, bring that dream and call for the elders of the church. Let them anoint with oil and pray the prayer of faith and God will save the sick. Come on. You've got depression. You've got mental illness. You've got problems. You've got troubles. You've got trials. Come on. Bring that dream. Bring that dream that says the Lord can make it well. The Lord can make it better and let Him speak to you a plan. Come on. That's it. That's it. Come on. Let an act of faith Let an action follow your faith. Come on, would you come join us at the altar? Join us in prayer. Come on, Joseph had to praise him. I don't know if he was in the prison the night before or while he was cleaning himself up, but Joseph had to pray, God, you're going to have to speak to me. Show me, God. You've spoke before. I've felt you before. I need your plan. I need your way. Come on, Lord, don't stop talking now. Don't stop moving. Don't stop dealing with me now. Speak to me, oh God. Speak to me, oh God. Put it in my mind. Put the thoughts in my head. Put the ideas upon my thinking. Lay it out. Let the strategy, Lord, be laid out. Come on, that's it. As they sing, we praise the 